0: Good morning to everyone. Welcome to Five Stones Church. We're broadcasting to you from downtown New Westminster. So last week I began our summer series from the Song of Solomons. This is a very exciting time for us every summer. We pair our messages with testimonies. And uh, this morning we're going to have Ben come and share his testimony. Ben is our worship coordinator and tech director. And I'm going to just set the stage for us by reading... Uh, a few verses, the opening verses for us uh, in this book that was written by Solomon. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn there or uh, open up your Bible app. So as I mentioned last week, there are, are three different main characters that are going on in this book, and it's really important to understand who is speaking when. And so one of the primary voices is King Solomon. The second key voice is the beloved or the Shulamite woman, And the third is this audience or the friends of the bridegroom. So in verse 4, she, the Shulamite woman says, draw me after you and let us run together. So she's speaking to King Solomon. The king has brought me into his chambers. And the friends echo in with their chorus. We will rejoice in you and be glad. We will extol your love more than wine. And then she comes back and says, about the king rightly, do they love you. And then she says, I am black but lovely, O daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon. Do not stare at me because I'm swarthy, for the sun has burned me. My mother's sons were angry with me. They made me caretakers of the vineyard, but I have not taken care of my own vineyard. Then dropping down to verse 9, King Solomon is speaking, to me, my darling, you are like my mare among the chariots of Pharaoh. Your cheeks are lovely with ornaments, your neck with string of beads. We'll make for you ornaments of gold with beads of silver. How beautiful you are, my darling. How beautiful you are. Your eyes are like doves. So let me pray here and then we're going to bring up Ben. Father, we thank you for just these words of intimacy, these words of passion. Lord, the the nearness of heart and how it pictures for us how you want to draw us near to you. How you want us to hear your heartbeat how you want us to enjoy this deep intimacy and fellowship. And for those of us that have felt, Father God, just that distance, we ask that you begin to just break down that distance as we go through this series, that with each successive week, we would feel God drawn closer and closer to you. We thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Ben, why don't you come on up and share what's on your heart.
1: Hey, everyone. How's it going? It's nice to uh, be able to speak to people without a guitar. It's always really hard to like introduce the, the, the service with a guitar when I'm talking. But uh, I have a short testimony before I sing some songs that are kind of testimonial songs. I brought uh, notes because I just need to read through it. I'm, I'm going to go on a tangent if I don't have notes. The love of God is a wonderful mystery. There's even more grace in his heart than what I'm able to conceive of. The process of faith and this walk with the Lord has been an amazing journey. I would probably go through it again and come out the other side just as grateful as I am today. I want to paint a picture of how God's love has worked in my life. I'll give you a little insight into my personality and past, and I'll play you some songs that will hopefully reiterate this picture. I became a Christian at a young age. I grew up in the Vineyard Church, a charismatic movement that believes in the word, healing, prophecy, and all the other gifts of the spirit. I often say God was interacting with me when I was in the womb. My parents were in small groups and church services, laying hands and receiving prayer and worshiping and speaking over me before I was born. It's not any wonder to me that I don't know what life is like without knowing the Holy Spirit. I do, however, know what it's like to be distant from him, to be running from him, or to be ignoring him. As a child, there was much less cynicism and doubt about whether I should be open to the Lord. Faith was very easy for me, and I was much more open to interacting with God, giving prophetic words, praying for healing. I grew up with my father, traveling on ministry trips, or worship conferences, being touched by the Holy Spirit, Generally serving the church, I remember praying very specific requests to God about growth as a child. How do I grow? How do I become a complete person? Then uh, my adolescent walk with God developed into this never-ending struggle of realizing it's better to put him first, failing, giving up, staying distant from him, then coming back, repenting, receiving grace and a cleansed spirit, a renewed mind, hope for the future, a little more progress and intimacy. Then in comes my agenda, wrong behavior, getting tangled in my humanness, my self-contradicting thought patterns, hypocrisy or stubbornness, large or small. It became apparent that I was going to have trouble getting this thing totally right. As a 17-year-old, I took steps towards studying philosophy and theology. This kindled a more autonomous decision to commit my life to God and Christian values. This development is very important for me. Many children grow up not knowing why they believe what they believe, resulting in existential crisis and all the troubles that come with it. I wanna give a couple examples of how God has touched my life in an intimate and real way. Number one, I've always had a need for constant love and intention and encouragement, and I have had the tendency to forget my place as a child of God. I grew up in a family of eight children. I had a very fun and exciting childhood, to say the least. There was lots of love and affection between parents and children and siblings. Being the middle child and the fourth boy, I was not the center of attention for very long. This has been a blessing, actually, but the child that wanted just a little more affection, a little more one-on-one time, stayed with me. I believed the lie that I wasn't holy and completely loved by my Creator. My soul or heart or spirit, uh, my soul or heart or spirit craved that prolonged, undivided attention that we often associate with romantic intimacy. However, God is the originator and ultimate source of this phenomena. I think many people understand this longing despite their ideology. If you don't believe it comes from the spirit, it falls in the category of emotion. It is nonetheless a real need for every human. In my case as a child, I sought approval and intimacy from my parents. Then growing up, obviously I wanted to get it from a relationship. I had many wonderful people speaking into my life explaining that actually a relationship won't solve all your issues you need God to fill those gaps first. This isn't often palatable advice for young people. (laughs) I struggled with that concept and put it to the test. I tried to engage God as a partner, being honest and making him real in my thought life, not a distant figure that I prayed to for certain things. Whether it was saying the Lord's Prayer over and over and over again a million times to start the day, or just playing classical music and dwelling in his presence. God is a real friend and lover, helping me with loneliness and encouraging me with love to grow and pursue his kingdom. When we show him our disappointment and bitterness, he shows us a way out. Another thing about me is my extremely self deprecating and self berating personality. This again had to and still has to be dealt with by an experience of God's outpouring of grace and kindness. We're talking about a spiritual experience that can change my perspective, heal wounds that are not physical, or just generally make me feel loved and accepted. It is also a psychological process of learning self-love, but again, the Father is a part of that, and I get the correct image of myself from Him. The only source that can deal with our deepest needs is God. The more I allow God to take first place, to fill gaps, to take up space in my life, the more and better fruit appears in my life. The more emotional peace I have, there's more excitement, there's more efficiency, more joy, more hope. All this crazy woo-woo Holy Spirit stuff I'm talking about has a real effect in real life. I personally usually cry when God touches me. There's just a nervous knot in my chest, and it just gets really warm, and I just get overcome with emotion, and I start crying a lot. I'm surprised I'm not crying right now, actually. (laughs) This is great. Um, It makes it way easier to read through this. Um, The other more passive tendency is laughter, joy, and excitement. The joy of the Lord is our strength. It's a phrase that, it becomes trivial because we say it all the time, but it's something that I dwell on a lot, and it's taken on even more meaning to me in 2020, and I hope to never forget it. What I just explained, it's uh, only a small snapshot um, into how God has moved in my life tangibly. Um, I was trained to talk to God as often as I want, which is pretty much all the time, consoling in Him with my thoughts, often being very honest and brash about what I see, what I'm thinking about, and I'm always undergoing trials that I know He wants to resolve and finish. Along the way, I might impatiently complain, or I'll be content and thankful, or I'll take courageous steps towards Him, then maybe a step back, maybe some more complaining until I repent, get a reset, And then I'm happy to say I'm trending in an upward direction as he helps solidify my place as his child. Uh, The songs I'm going to share have depictions of this kind of push and pull or this struggle. Uh, Generally, in all the music I play, I feel I'm interacting with God. Um, But especially music that's directed at him or played for him. Is usually when I feel his presence the strongest. I also find his presence through reading the word and many other things if I choose to be aware of him. Receiving his love often starts with repentance and acknowledgement that nothing else will satisfy and a rejection of my own ways. All throughout my life when I cry out he always responds. He will not respond the way I planned Nonetheless, he pours out his love on me. Through trials, he pours out his love through comfort, simple spiritual comfort. He solves problems that drive me crazy, changes outcomes for his good. I want him to protect my spirit, my heart, my soul. I want him to pour out his love on me, break off all the shackles, and change me for the better. Amen. So that's all I'm going to talk for right now. Uh, I'm going to sing some songs. Give me 30 seconds and I'm going to plug my guitar in.
2: I want to play hide-and-seek So why don't you find in me? You already know where I am And where I'll be You already know what I am I wouldn't trade it Just look what you gave me It doesn't make sense But I said that I'm waiting Waiting for what? You already paid it. Waiting for what? I'm starting to hate it. Just break it all off for me. I listen to what you say, how you speak. Just break it all off for me. Place it with what you see, what you see in me. You can be a light to me, oh, but it's all right with me. I thought I saw everything, just break it all off of me. Don't want to play hide and seek, so many things I don't need. I won't let you wash my feet No, it's all on me When I play hide and seek I wouldn't trade it Just look what you gave me It doesn't make sense Just look what you gave me I know I'm always reaching But I don't need to I know I'm always reaching need you to keep me oh. just break it all off for me I'll listen to what you say and how you speak just break it all off for me replace it with what you see what you see in me you can be a light to me oh but it's alright me I know I'm always reaching I need you to teach me always been striving I need you to keep me up just break it all off for me I listen to what you say and how you speak just break it all off for me Place it with what you see, what you see in me. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you.
1: Great. Uh, next song is called Gratitude. Um, it's a little bit obscure. It's a weird song. It's more like a prayer or a letter or poetry. I mean, it'll sound like a song, kind of. Uh, yeah.
2: To speak life over me, put me on your shoulder. I turn again to you. I shall see see it all one day. No one knows. No one knows your way Running in circles all this time I need you to change my frame of mind There's another way I could say this right but Most of the time I'm too tongue-tied I'm just thankful that you gave me promises Every day is magic when you smile on me. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your promises to me. Thank you, thank you, thank you, all this means so much. Keep me in your side. I'll still fall short When it's over Keep on trying through The night That's the least The least I owe you I still complain From time to time I could not ask for better life You bless me more than I could desire I take it for granted every time Trying to find a way to say this right But most of the time I'm too tongue tied I'm just thankful that you gave me promises Every day is magic when you smile on me Thank you, thank you, thank you For your promises Thank you, thank you, thank you all this means so much Every day I can't forget your promises Every day is magic when you smile on me Thank you, thank you, thank you for your promises to me. Thank you, thank you, thank you. All this means so much to me. Cool. Awesome.
1: Okay. This next one, I call it a uh, song of Benjamin. Because uh, I was thinking of this time, writing the songs, knowing I had to write uh, these songs, and um, I tried looking at the text of Song of Solomon to find stuff that, like, was going to work, and it was hard at first. I was like, man, all these, like, animal body part references, and, uh, you know, it's, like, translated a million different times, Um, but then I realized there's, like, some really, really good lines in there that I... um, They're very romantic and, you know, really good for music. So, yeah, this is, there's some lines in here you might recognize in the text. And it's a normal song, so, it'll, yeah. The other two songs, I'm gonna say, I was was speaking Kind of as a child of God to God. This one is more of a interplay of like, you don't really know who's speaking to who. If I'm, if the bride is speaking to the groom or, or or not, you don't really know. But it's like a love song.
2: Promise me you'll wake me up. I cannot miss the sun. Turn your eyes away from me. Your gaze is much too strong. For your voice is sweet as wine. In you there is no flaw. Hurry up, my beautiful one. We cannot miss the sun. Oh, take me by the hand. I would put my life in your hands oh can we please just dance oh i still can't comprehend all the things you inspire you call me your friend won't you come away with me my darling Till the end Take me to that place once again I'm breathless, I can't stand Lay my body down to rest My heart is wide awake I feel helpless when I stand Beside you and your grace Oh, take me by the hand Oh, walk with me, don't need no destination Oh, can we please just dance Oh, I still can't comprehend All the things that you are You call me your friend Promise me you'll wake me up when I'm not listening. Promise me that you'll shake me out my stubborn, silly ways. Draw me in the notes that you take. Don't wait for time to fly. I insist that your pale blue eyes won't fade from out my mind Oh, can by the hand Oh, I would put my life in your hands Oh, can we please just dance Oh, I still can't comprehend All the things that you are How you call me your friend Take me by the hand Oh, just walk with me Don't need a destination Oh Oh, I still can't comprehend All the things that you are How you call me your friend Fabulous Thank you
0: Fabulous. Thank you, Ben. Thank you for sharing your testimony and songs. I really appreciate you taking the time to compose these. In fact, um, this is a a little mini milestone for us here at Five Stones in that um, this is the first time we've had someone from the worship team write and perform their own songs. So these are originals. They drop today, probably go viral tomorrow. (laughs) So it's really special, uh, Ben, that you've done this for us. And as well, uh, your testimony and lyrics fit perfectly with our message today. And don't be uh, concerned, my message is compacted. I'm not going to have the normal length shaved about 20 minutes off so that we can obviously fully enjoy Ben's um, story and his songs. So the title of my message this morning is Treasured, Not Measured. And as we've heard um, through Ben's story and lyrics, so much of our struggle in our walk with God is understanding how much He truly loves us. We have a hard time understanding how much He treasures us when we're constantly measuring ourselves. We have a hard time grasping the unconditional love of God because we're so conditioned to experiencing love in a conditional way. We live in a conditional world. This is one of the great consequences of the fall. When Adam and Eve fell into sin, they lost their ability to be treasured. They could only fathom God's love on the basis of if they were good enough. Another way to say this is that we fell from a system of faith into a system of works and religion. We're constantly coming to God with our fig leaves because we're afraid of what God will do with our weaknesses and shortfalls and sins. We can't come to him fully transparent and naked because of the fear that we will be rejected. But nothing could be further from the truth. We aren't measured, we are treasured. That's the tension that we're always battling and we see this in the opening frame of this book. Solomon had set his eyes on the Shulamite woman in the fields as she worked in the king's vineyards, but she could hardly grasp that he was looking her way. It was too much for her. Just like when God starts looking our way with his intense love, we can hardly take it. We can hardly believe it. Me? You're looking at me to pick me to be with you? Solomon's glance was not one of looking to see if she was performing well. Her glance was one of love. But what did that look trigger in her? Instant self-consciousness. Because what did she say in chapter 1, the first part of verse 5, I am black. Or in the NIV, it's rendered as dark am I. Our first instinct in our instant reaction when God looks our way is to connect it with our shortcomings, our failures, our sins, all the things that are wrong about us. How black we are, how dark we are. We measure ourselves. Now, this blackness was not referring to her ethnicity as a black woman. It was referring to her dark, tan skin because she'd been working in the fields under the beating sun. Her dark, tan skin was a sign of her socioeconomic class, that she was a laborer. She was not in the upper part of society where women of stature didn't have to work in the fields and therefore their skin was white. Her tan skin was a visible and tangible evidence of her low standing in society. And in verse 6, she says, Don't stare at me because I'm swarthy, for the sun has burned me. In other words, life has burned me, and it shows. I can't hide my burn marks. I can't hide the evidence of my difficult life. You look at me, and you see it. There's an intense self-consciousness on her part regarding her value before the king, because she doesn't measure up. I mean, she says, I'm swarthy. Who uses this word? Uh, What does it mean? It means I feel dark and dirty, like a used rag, unattractive, only to be thrown out after use. I'm nothing of repute. And she goes on to say, And she describes her feelings, that I'm black like the tents of Kedar. Now, what's the significance of this phrase? Kedar refers to a nomadic people group that lived in tents made of black goat's hair. That was her living space. I'm inside this dark black place. And this little phrase carried a triple negative in her mind. Number one, she compared herself to the color black. Number two, the fabric of the tents came from goats, not sheep. So she was second class. Third, the people of Kedar were descendants of Ishmael and not Isaac. So she's liking herself to a rejected people, not an accepted people. If you remember the story of Ishmael and Isaac, they were brothers. Their father was Abraham. Ishmael, however, was the one that was sent away, and they have become the Arab and Muslim people. Isaac was the son of promise, and they represent the present-day Jewish people. So by this little phrase, the Shulamite woman indicted herself deeply, or as Ben put it in his testimony, I developed an extremely self-deprecating and self-berating personality. This is so innate to us. We are a people given to self-loathing. It's so natural for us to go there as humans. And yet this is the very thing that God is passionate to heal and to cleanse from our system, that toxicity that gets into our hearts, gets into our minds, gets into our thoughts, gets into our behaviors. We're constantly acting out of this self-loathing. And yet this is what God came to heal That's why he died on the cross, is to bring us back to a place of complete and utter acceptance of his love. We are not darkened like the tents of Kedar. We are not goats in his eyes, and we are not rejected like Ishmael. None of that. Now, in this verse, there's an important detail that I don't want to escape our attention The Shulamite woman's self criticism was tied to a physical sense of unattractiveness. This is actually genius insight on the part of the Bible. How many of you wish you could change something about your physical appearance? You're too short. You're too wide. Your ears are too big. Your feet are too big. Your nose is too long. Your hair is too flat. Your body shape is not right. Your eyes are too far apart. When you gain weight, it goes to your neck and you get a double chin. You're balding. And on and on, the list is endless. I remember listening to an interview one time with actress Jennifer Gardner after her breakout role in a TV series called Alias. It's not on TV anymore, but if You go back into all our sharing platforms. I'm sure you can find the series. And she plays this agent that is super attractive, super athletic, smart and tough and could get herself out of any situation. Almost like 007 except a female version. I was listening to this interview and she was asked by the interviewer, was there anything that she didn't like about herself on screen because all the guys were swooning over her? And she said, when I run... In the action scenes, I look like a duck. I thought that was a very funny statement because she was so self-conscious about it. And the next time I saw her run on TV, sure enough, it did look like she was running like a duck. <laughs> Do you wish you could change a physical trait about yourself? If so, what would it be? The rejection of our physical attributes greatly affects our sense of self and self-esteem? Isn't the exploding plastic surgery industry in the last 30 years a telling commentary on how much we want to change our physical traits? Right now, I actually want to take a 20-second moment, just a quiet moment, and I want you to think about something that you want to change, or you've wanted to change about yourself physically. But instead of asking God to change it, I want you to say to God, thank you for making me this way. And then I want you to name that trait. Then I want you to say, I accept and appreciate, God, how you made me. So let's just take a moment right now. Just quiet ourselves. Think about the thing that you've wanted to change. Maybe something you've despised your whole life. Call it out. But instead of despising yourself, just pray to God now. I accept and appreciate how you made me. Just let that emotion sink in. And just let that thought begin to touch your heart that actually how God made you is something that you can celebrate. This acceptance is a foundation of personal well-being, embracing how God made you so that you can be comfortable in your own skin. Why did God make you look different from everyone else with all your unique features? Because he loves variety. There is such variety in nature. Think about the skinny legs of the stork or the wide girth of the hippo or the tall neck of the giraffe or the white stripe on the skunk or the hairy exterior of the gorilla or the scaly skin of a crocodile or the squishy frame of a jellyfish or the ugly teeth of a shark. God loves it all. Genesis says, the book of Genesis says that when he created it all, it was good. The Bible didn't say some of it was good and some of it was bad, nor does it say that, oh, some of it was good, but some of it was really good. No, it was all good. God does all things well. He never does things less than excellent. It's all beautiful to him. We are fearfully and wonderfully made, as David said in Psalm 139, 14. He got that revelation. David, whose heart, was after God, the only man in the Bible who's called out and says he had a heart for God. He understood how to be treasured. He understood that he was fearfully and wonderfully made. And so he writes this into Psalms. And this is a truth for us to assimilate and receive and just bask in. Just as there are no ugly babies in the world, so there isn't an ugly person in the world. Just because they've grown up, it doesn't mean that they've become ugly. No, they're just a grown-up version of their cuteness. Everyone is beautiful. So the Shilohmite woman feels ugly and dark and black, but there's a conflict. There's a part of her that feels lovely. There's an echo deep inside of her that says, wait a minute, I shouldn't measure myself. I should feel treasured. I am lovely. And that inner conversation moves from feeling like I'm the tents of Kedar to I'm like the curtains of Solomon. What's the difference here? We've already talked about how the tents of Kedar represent self-loathing. But now she's speaking truth to herself. I'm like the curtains of Solomon. And this phrase can have two meanings. The first meaning is she could be referring to the curtains in Solomon's palace as she saw them when Solomon brought her in to his chambers. Verse four, right? Says the king has brought me into her chambers. And so maybe here she was as a peasant living in very low income housing. And all of a sudden she's whisked away to the palace and she sees this incredible place that Solomon lives in. And inside that, his own personal bedroom. And he sees the drapes. She sees the handiwork and stitching and attention to detail, the majesty, the weight and the color of the curtains that hung in his bedroom and the luxury and the regal feel of it took her breath away such that she likens herself to it. I am lovely like the curtains of Solomon. There's a second meeting and this comes by the way that the NIV translation renders the Hebrew where she likens herself to the tent curtains of Solomon. So the NIV inserts this word tent in front of curtain. And this use of tent signals a potentially different sense, as she might have been referring to the temple of Solomon and the curtain that stood in, the fr- in front of the Holy of Holies. In this case, the Bible gives a very clear description of that curtain and its significance. That veil, that curtain was made of fine linen, speaking of the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. There were three special colors that were woven into this veil. Blue, which is the color of heaven, and Jesus Christ as the one that grants eternal life. There was the color purple, the color of royalty. Jesus Christ as the king of kings. And there was scarlet, that red color, crimson color, the color of sacrifice, Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God. The Shulamite woman, in calling on this metaphor, now sees herself in Christ, sees she's, she sees herself as a new creation. This is a very powerful analogy. But whether the Shulamite woman had the first or second meaning in mind when she said, that she was lovely, it still points to something powerful and transformational. There's a second opinion at work here. It's the king's opinion. It's a radically opposite opinion. It's a contrarian view. Do you know that you have a contrarian God? Because he's constantly going against your opinion because he's trying to bring you out of a place of darkness and deception into a place of light and truth. And so he's always going to contradict you. He's always going to contradict your will because he's trying to set you free. And so we read here in verses 9 through 11, I've put the NASB and the NIV side by side because they have little different nuances that I want to bring out. Here's the view of the king of the woman. To me, He's talking, he's saying, referring to himself. To me, O woman, my darling, you are like my mare among the chariots of Pharaoh. Your cheeks are lovely with ornaments. Your neck with string of beads. We'll make for you ornaments of gold with beads of silver. How beautiful you are, my darling. How beautiful you are. Your eyes are like doves. This is a radically different picture. The king doesn't see her low standing her tanned skin as a sign of disdain or grounds for dismissal. Rather, he sees how beautiful she is. And in verse 15, he says it twice. This was a double emphasis, a double exclamation, a double love. Her eyes aren't sleepy like a sloth, but they're like doves. Verse 15, her cheeks aren't droopy and lacking in muscle tone, but lovely with ornaments. Verse 10. Her neck is not thick like a tree trunk, but perfect for a string of pearls. Her ears are not flappy like an elephant, but perfect for earrings of gold studded with silver. And she's not a mule or a donkey, but like a majestic mare in Pharaoh's army, shimmering in the glorious day, a thing of beauty. How differently God envisions us. He sees us adorned while we see ourselves unworthy to wear the jewels. Friends, these are the thoughts of Jesus Christ towards us. They are truth. We see one thing, but God sees another. And what does the Bible say in Romans 3 4? Let God be true and every man a liar. If you hold on to your measured view of yourself, you make God to be a liar and the truth will not set you free. But if you receive by faith God's picture and feelings for you, that truth will set you free. Like Ben sang, break it off from me, replace it with what you see in me. I love the the kind of violence in that phrase. Break it off from me. Yeah, break it off from me. Don't just lightly take it off. No, break it off and replace it with what you see in me. That's what we need is we need a thought transplant. We need a brain transplant. We need his thoughts and his words to come in here. That's why Romans 12 says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind because we are a fruit of how we think. And so nothing will change unless our thoughts change. So break it off from me. Replace it with what you see in me. We also heard him sing, when I look at what you gave me, it doesn't make sense. You're the Shulamite woman and King Solomon is looking at you. You go, what? No way. This, This can't make sense. He's married to queens and princesses and they have political alliances because he's married the daughters of other kings in the region. And now he's looking at me. This makes no sense. We heard Ben sing, I need you to change my frame of mind. The Bible says that God has given us the spirit of Christ's mind. And then the last song, we heard the lyrics, Turn your eyes from me, your gaze is too strong, much too strong. And that's the point. It's supposed to be too strong. We are meant to be overwhelmed. God is an overwhelming God. He loves to overwhelm us. His His gaze is meant to make us come apart, to be lovesick and faint with love, as it says in chapter two, verse five, so that we can experience his overwhelming, unconditional love. We are treasured, not measured. That's the miracle of Christianity. That's the journey of revelation that we're on. So Father, we come before you right now. And I pray that the truth of these verses in the first chapter of Song of Songs would begin to land on us. And it begin to soak our hearts and go into our hearts, God, like rain on dry ground. I pray that you would begin to turn things around in our lives as we truly receive by faith that this is your heart. Towards us, This is a revolutionary message. We were born into sin. We were born into darkness. There's no way that we can understand or apprehend these thoughts. But by your spirit, God, you unveil and you open our eyes to see how we are indeed treasure. We are the apple of your eye. And you're restoring us back to the Garden of Eden. So that we can have free flow fellowship. Completely transparent and naked. 100% of the time. And this morning, if you have tuned into our broadcast and you've been on a journey with Jesus and you're not quite sure about this God, I want to invite you to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. To say this is the day, this is the moment, this is the service where I say yes to him because I believe what the Bible says about his love for me. And the scripture assures us that when we give our life to him, our sins will be cleansed and he will put us on a path of joy and peace and righteousness because that's his kingdom. So as I close in prayer, and if you want to give your life to Jesus, then just say, Jesus, make me your son. Make me your daughter. I give my life to you. For those of us that have been touched by the Holy Spirit in these few minutes and a a touch of healing has come to your heart, then lay hold of that healing and run with it because that's what God wants to do is to heal and heal deeply and heal more deeply and heal to the greatest depths of our hearts so that we are free from self-loathing. We are free from self-deprecation. We are free from self-hatred and we can walk in the glory of his love. Receive that healing. Holy Spirit, come. Breathe, breathe, breathe right now. Liberate. Liberate the prisoners right now. Come, Holy Spirit. We thank you, God, for your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. We are excited to continue this series. Uh, Next week, we're going to have our first couple share, Alex and Jess Pearson, and Pastor John will be bringing the message. So have a wonderful week, stay safe, and we'll see you next Sunday.